Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. And this is Kim of Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I'll say that one more time. This is Kim of Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. Welcome back. You know, today is a What Say You Sunday, and basically what that is is um, it's going to be open topics. You know, there are some things that I specifically want to talk about, and you know, um, we'll open the lines for telephone calls, but um, let me make a couple of things clear. You know, we've been doing this show for a while. Um, I'm very gracious and generous when people call in, even when their viewpoints do not necessarily fall in step with mine, which is okay. I don't have a problem with that, just like I don't have a problem with reading um, articles or books you know, dealing with subject matter that I find problematic or traumatic because, you know, it's important to understand what their side of the argument is and to understand where it came from and the foundation that it's been built on, you know. So it's important to know that. But it's so funny, but let me – it's interesting because we've gotten a couple of calls and, you know, I talk about black nationalists. And there are a variety of types of black nationalism. And for those that have been listening to this show for a while, you already know that I'm talking about the ashy dick, um, no tofu dashiki brothers out there that basically have aligned themselves again with the alt-right white supremacists because they see themselves as taking being, being aligned, being on the same level. Um, with these white supremacists. They just want to see it in black face. And it's interesting because, yes, of course, they want to they want to change that image. And when I say change that image, I'm not talking about them making fundamental changes. They just don't want that type of image out there because it goes against what they, the message that they want to convey goes against their agenda. It goes against different parts of their itinerary. And so what's interesting with this particular group of black nationalists is, again, they have the same, same, you know, um, ideology when it comes to patriarchy. You know, a lot of woman haters out there in this particular community. Um, In white supremacy, again, they want to be that level. They just want to replace it with black faith. And then the homophobia and a number of other things, the capitalism, all of that. And so when I talk about, you know, black nationalism, you know, I'm talking about that specific group of people. And it's so interesting because we'll have people feigning ignorance and and asking, well, what group of black nationalists are you talking about? And then immediately launch into a defense of Umar Johnson and Tariq Nasheed. So they know very well which specific black nationalists um, I'm talking about. You know, I'm talking about the no-teps. I had a friend of mine who asked me to stop calling them the hoteps, and I've done that. 
but the no teps or the faux teps just depends on how I'm feeling that day and what I will call them. But, you know, it's, it's really interesting how all of that comes about and then that becomes the center of the conversation. And, again, they knew very well who I was speaking of because, again, the name Umar came up and that didn't come from my lips. So it's, it's, it's funny because what's interesting is, is that because I do a lot of research and reading, I have a lot of information, and I post it or I used to post it. And so one of the things that I complained about on the show is people wanting you to do the research for them so that they won't have to go out and do the hard work and really read it or they'll listen to the show, take some talking points, and then try to give off the appearance that, you know, that they've studied this when they haven't. And one of the things about me is that I don't mind doing things and sharing things, but I've gotten pretty tired of doing the work. So, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, let me post the articles. And then I think about it, and I'm like, I, I gave you enough information during the show that you can look it up for yourself. And I have to stop enabling people and have them go out and do the research themselves. That's one of the things that I pride myself on with this particular podcast is that I challenge you to go out here and look it up yourself. And I know for a fact when you're looking up whatever talking point that you may agree with or have contention with, when you look that up, you're going to find a number of other things. And I do that on purpose. And, again, when we do these shows, it's not exhaustive. And, yes, there are times when I don't present a point of view, a different point of view that's out there, or sometimes I'll present a different point of view, but there are three, four, five, six, seven, a hundred different points of view or perception or perspectives about um, what I'm talking about, and I can't cover them all. And so, you know, we talk about this, we talk about that a little bit here and there. But, yeah, I want you guys to do the research, go do some reading for yourself, and, you know, learn. Learn and grow. Teach and grow. You know, that's what this is all about. So, yeah, it's been a lot happening. And so it's been raining the past two, three days here. I'm sitting here looking out the window. I want to go outside, but not in the rain. You know, for those of you that have locks out there, you understand why rain can be the enemy sometimes, you know, when it comes to your hair, especially if you just got it done, you know, having to go in and rewash it and you just got your locks tightened up can be a problem. So anyway, how are you all today? How are you all? It's nice to know that this was a week. There were no deaths. There were no near deaths. At least it hasn't gotten to me yet. So this has been a good week. So, you know, I'm really happy about that. There have been a number of things going on, but I wanted to start to show off with some good news for those that this may be of interest to. Tulane University is offering a free guest semester for students um, who are attending college and university in Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. So, again, Tulane University is offering free guest semesters for students who attended college or university in Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands. So, you know, I'm really happy to see that, and from my understanding, they made the same offer during Katrina. 
And I'm wondering if there are other universities and colleges out there doing this. I guess I probably need to look it up. But more so, you all go and look it up. You know, I'm back. I'm studying again. So my time is really, really limited. And, um, you know, it's, it's been a challenge, so to speak. And, you know, writing has been is interesting, especially when you're working with voice software and having to go back in and change things and, you know, train the software. And it's interesting because it was really trained on my other laptop, and then, then it crashed, and I decided that it really wasn't worth rebuilding. So I just snatched the data off and put it on a new laptop, but then you have to go back in and retrain the software, which in some cases can be a nightmare. So anyway, yeah, Tulane University, guys, go out there and take a look. Um, and, again, I wanted to start out with some good news. You know, Dr. Barber, Dr. William Barber was in town um, here in Chicago, and he was talking about his Poor People's Campaign, which is wonderful. I know a number of groups that are, you know, um, walking in step with him that have their own Poor People's Campaigns, and they've been working diligently to reach the people in neighborhoods and to put the word out there, to be of assistance. Um, I know BLM Chicago has a Poor People's Campaign that falls under, you know, some of the projects that they're doing. And that's a wonderful thing to happen. For those that have been listening to the show for the past several years, you know, one of the things that I've always said is that we needed to go back and pick up where Martin Luther King Jr. stopped, which was the Poor People's Campaign, and that it needed to be picked back up and and pushed. And so what's so interesting about what Dr. Barbara, uh, excuse me, Dr. Barber is out here saying, he's talking about America being in a third reconstruction phase. And that is true. And I know some people are like, well, you know, what, you know, where where is the proof? Where is the proof? What's happening? What's going on? And, you know, I I would urge you to go and listen to some of the talks that he's given. You know, there are podcasts all over the place. There are webcasts, all of that. But let me give you some information from the other side here. So Goldman Sachs, some of their economists, basically stated that um, there is really a two-thirds of a chance that the recovery that we're in currently will be the longest on record. And so far, the current expansion has been more than 95 months, okay? More than 95 months, and it's the third longest in U.S. history. And so go back. You know, they say taking all of this back to 1854 is the third longest in U.S. history is 33 business cycles. And so what they're doing is they're predicting or forecasting that is a medium-term risk of a recession is rising. So this is the thing. We've been talking about the recession that's going to make its way back around, and basically a quote from this article says, mainly because the economy is at full employment and still growing above trend. Now, I know one of the things, I'm not an economist, nowhere near one, you know, but I've done a lot of reading, and this is one of the things that I I've talked about, that it is by design that you have to have a certain percentage of people in this country unemployed or underemployed, 
otherwise, <laughs> otherwise this economy will go belly up, and there's a reason for that. And I want you to go back, and if you can, if you have time, or you may be able to find some articles, there are a lot of um, um, scholarly articles out there that can explain how the first expansion took place and how the second expansion went to place. So, you know, these are the reconstructions. And how the black Americans, how the African-American community was screwed in the last reconstruction. And so this is why, you know, over the years we've been telling you to go back and to read this and to get a better understanding. However, um, and the person who wrote the article that I'm talking about is Patty Dom, P-A-T-T-I-D-O-M-M. If you want to go and look at that specific article, uh, I just gave you a few of the talking points that they had there. But if you want to go back and, like I say, you take a look at it and see how it compares to now, um, what I will say is if you do have the capital and the resources to invest and invest long-term, which means put the money somewhere safe and don't look at it. Leave it alone. And there are going to be good market days. There are going to be bad market days. But there is a chance that, you know, the black community really could make some strides with this. Um, What I would say is go and talk to financial advisor some expert that can help you, and and you want to get with a firm that doesn't really give a, you know, you don't want to get with a firm that doesn't give a damn about your money. You want to be with a firm that does give a damn, and also you want a firm that basically, if you lose money, they make money. That's not who you want to be with. If you lose money, they lose money, which means they're going to work harder to make sure that your money is safe and that you do yield some type of profit, you know, and so or some dividends. So you may want to start paying attention, looking around, seeing what's happening, and um, and investing in other ways. I mean, reinvest back into your communities. And I know there's a lot of talk around that and, I just say do the best that you can because, you know, when this next recession hits, and it will hit, you know, it's a recession for white people, but it's a depression for people of color, especially black and brown folks. And so you need to pay attention. And I know we've been talking about this for years, but it's overdue. It's overdue. You know, this should have happened, you know, at least two, three years ago. And it's overdue, and it's going to hit hard. And what's so interesting about a lot of the financials and and the numbers that have come out in the past couple of weeks where it showed that the U.S. lost some jobs and, you know, some other negative information that the Trump administration didn't like. What's so funny is they took credit for the jobs gains and, you know, the stock market rise and all of these different, and even the GDP, right? However, all of that was still due to the policies and the money that was pumped into the economy by the Obama administration. And that's by no means saying that that administration was superior because it wasn't. Because, again, they pumped a lot of money into this economy, but they also know that it's going to have to settle. And when that economy settles, there's going to be a lot of people hurt. But the thing is is that with the Trump 
administration, the negative numbers that are coming out now, the numbers from September and October, are truly the numbers that the Trump administration is responsible for because they were still, you know, we were still operating from the residuals of the Obama administration, but Trump administration took credit for it. So you already know this. Anything negative is going to be attributed to the Obama administration as well as, you know, the Bush and Clinton and Reagan and the Papa Bush administrations. And it's really interesting because um, Trump is not going to take responsibility for any of this. And so that was that. Um, It's been interesting watching what's been happening with this Harvey Weinstein situation. And so what happened was Rose McGowan was suspended off of Twitter, and the white feminists, of course, got indignant and boycotted Twitter for a day in solidarity with Rose McGowan. And, you know, again, using, you know, these these false narratives saying that women of color were being divisive um, if we did not fall in line and support their boycott or if we questioned their boycott or questioned the motives behind the boycott. For those of you that are out there, there was a hashtag um, created by April Rain, and it's hashtag WOC Affirmations. Again, WOC Affirmations, Women of Color Affirmations. If you look at um, what I posted for the show today, you'll see the hashtag there. And what happened was you had women of color, you know, affirming one another, assuring one another, supporting one another, showering love on one another. And, you know, it was just really interesting, all the articles that came out. And, you know, watching some of these Twitter interactions, and when it was women of color being, you know, bullied and attacked by, you know, different people, especially the alt-writers, the white supremacists, and when they were attacking, you know, women of color like Leslie Jones, feminists, for the most part, they didn't rally and support her in the same way. They didn't boycott Twitter. None of that. And as a matter of fact, too many were silent. You know, and and no one, and they didn't boycott when Jamel Hill was suspended from her job because of her tweets. Where was the women's boycott then? You know, when Roxanne Gay was being, you know, bullied and harassed. There was no boycott for that. And so, you know, it just proves to us that white women, white feminists, you know, they are going to show up for each other while trying to turn a blind eye, you know, or a deaf ear or a mute mouth when it comes to women of color and, you know, the abuse that we endure. But when we refuse to or question or ignore whatever it is that they're rallying for, then we're being divisive. How does that work? So again, you're showing us that, you know, again you're more you know, you're more comfortable showing up and speaking up for each other than you are from women of color. 
but yet you want us to pledge our undying allegiance to you. And you want us to support you and and get out here and and take up for you and you know in some cases to be your damn mammy. And there's a lot of that going around. And so it's really interesting because while many of you want to say that you're progressive and you're liberal and, you know, you're an ally and all of these things, your actions do not show that. Okay? And I already hear not all white women, not all white feminists, yeah, but I'm talking about the ones who are. You know, and so, you know, I just said, babe, you know, we said we wait to see if we're going to get the same type of support on similar issues, and we don't. And so, again, you have these white feminists that are trying to set the priorities, set um, the standards of excellence, trying to set the agenda for feminism in, in general, and 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 hold feminists of color to that accord, hold them responsible for priorities that they set for themselves, but only when it's against white feminists, and not necessarily against feminists or women of color. So, what do we do with that? You know. <laughs> And and I just sit back because um, what's her name? Mayim Balik Blossom. Her she wrote an article that kind of set a lot of the feminists aflame. You know, I guess that's the nicest way I can put that. And basically, she was victim blaming. She was saying, you know, dress modestly and all of these different things. And ooh, they were hot about that. And I understand. I get it. But. Again, this is about educating folks as to when it comes to rape, it's about power and control. You know, when it comes to, you know, the harassment and the bullying, it's it's the same thing. It's about power and control. And unfortunately, you have a lot of people out here that's trying to put the ownership in situations like that on the woman, on the victim, because men are raped and harassed as well. So, I mean, I want to make sure that doesn't get lost in the conversation. However, instead of telling these women that they should have left as soon as the alcohol broke out or they should have dressed a certain way, you know, I understand the sentiment. Why don't you teach men not to rape? Why don't you teach men not to grope? Why don't you teach men about what's considered bad behavior? They know better. However, they've been allowed to get away with it. A lot of this has been excused, you know, the good old boy network. And unfortunately, a lot of these situations are covered up or the victim is threatened and are afraid to come out, come up front and talk about it. In other cases, they just don't care to talk about it. It happened, and many of them just try to move on. And unfortunately, for a few of them, it ends up having a negative impact in other ways. And so it's important to have these support systems out there. It's important to um, rally around these people and to give them the type of support that they need. 
So, you know, I have more to say about that, but I'm not because, um, you know, I didn't really want to spend a lot of time on this. But, yeah, go out there and look it up, um, Women of Color Affirmations, so hashtag WOC Affirmations. And I wanted to, you know, tell you about a few of them that I saw that were really good. But, you know, it's just really interesting how social media, Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, and a number of other places have become tools for these terrorist organizations. And when I say terrorists, I'm talking about domestic and international. But, you know, for a lot of these meninists and these white supremacists, you know, they've been able to recruit people. They've been able to create um, communities. They've been, been able to harass people. I mean, they were they were tweeting out people's social security numbers, people's addresses, you know, docs, and all of that, you know, DOX, for those who don't know what that is, look it up. But the thing is, is that they've been able to do this, and what has emboldened and empowered them even more is, you know, the president that you all elected, you know, white feminists, white women, 53% of you voted for Donald Trump. But yet we're supposed to believe that you're an ally, right? So, again, you know, I've, I've been loving these, you know, women of color affirmations. Um, they touch on a lot of different subjects, you know, a lot of different, you know, types of support that's out there. And, you know, it's not only black women or Latino women or Latinx women or, um, you know, indigenous, but you have some white women on there supporting that. You have white men on there supporting that. I've seen black men, Latino, Asian men across the board. So, you know, there are a lot of people out here amplifying women of color and, and amplifying women and amplifying specifically black women in, you know, in, in issues that are important to us and just letting us know that, you know, not everybody is an asshole, right? And so one right here says, trust your dopeness, trust your spirit, trust your drive, trust your gut, trust your fear, trust your amazing. So, you know, you got that out there, and I'm just sitting here, and um, looking at this, and a lot of people's work is being highlighted, and, you know, I'm really happy to see that. So go out there, take a look, show some support, you know, and even if you don't retweet something or, you know, tweet anything out yourself, if there are women of color, you know, that you associate with or work with or whatever, you don't have to tell them that you're coming from a, you know, feminist standpoint because this, to me, this is just a woman issue. You know, show them some support. You know, if you work with a woman of color, you know, just tomorrow say something kind to her. You know, just be nice. Say something kind to her. Speak up. You know, because one of the things that I do know that women of color have to deal with, and it drives me crazy. We'll say something, you know, whether it's an idea or, you know, a conversation talking piece or whatever, and, you know, usually if you're in a company of men and with 
my profession, um, there were very few black people, let alone very few black women. And so what would be interesting is I would make a point or say something, and everybody would act confused, and then the white guy next to me would say it, and then all of a sudden everybody understands it. And then I'll turn to him, and I'll say, didn't I just say that? And he would say yes. And, you know, some of them did that on purpose to bring it to light that she just gave you the solution to the problem, told you how to rectify whatever said problem was. You ignored when she said it, but you acknowledged it and praised it when I said it. And so, you know, this happens. Happens at work. Happens family life. Happens, you know, with friends. This is the type of thing that, you know, takes place. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, many of us have become silent in certain situations. You just sit back, you watch, and you're quiet, and you know the truth. And it's just really interesting because, you know, you have people out here that want to jump in and take sides when you have absolutely no idea what really took place. And so... You know, you have all of that going on. And one thing that I saw this week, which kind of caught me by surprise, but apparently over 6,000 prisoners in Texas donated money to Hurricane Harvey. And I think they donated over $60,000. It was a lot of money, right? And, you know, you had people out here talking about it, all kinds of think pieces out about it. And, you know, what's interesting is you have people like me that are looking at this and saying, what the hell is going on? And you have these people out here, you know, cheering them on and saying that, oh, that's a good thing. Yeah, so they donated over $54,000 of their commissary money to give away, you know, for hurricane relief. Now, what upsets me about this story is these guys and girls, these people, these men and women are in prison. You know, they're basically back in slavery, making less than slave wages, but yet they found money to donate when that was not their responsibility. And the fact that they had to donate that money, I have a problem with that. I think that it's gross that the American public allows this to happen because the thing is is that the very least of us, you know, poor and working class people, are the ones who are actually the most generous ones. And yet look at the situation that they're in. They are incarcerated. They are imprisoned. And they use their money to donate to this hurricane, you know, um, relief fund. Now, you know, then they gave it to Red Cross, which is, you know, because what happened was a lot of the prisoners in Texas, they were hit by the hurricane too. They were, you know, water in the jail. I mean, just some of everything. And so people were donating money towards, you know, helping the prisoners and, 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 you know, just everybody in Texas and Louisiana and Florida and a number of other places, 
Because, again, that's what we do. We open our hearts, we open our wallets, and, you know, we give money, and we try to help in the best way that we can. But for these, this particular group of people, no. They should not have to take their money, the very little that they have, and donate it towards something like that. And then you have all these write-ups acting as though that was a good thing. And in theory, I can see why you would think that, oh, this is wonderful. Not with the society that we live in, you know, state-sanctioned violence. I mean, I'm willing to bet that most of the people that donated the money that are incarcerated, I'm willing to bet that many of them, their circumstances created the situation in which they were charged with certain crimes, right? And, you know, what's interesting is in America, when they have to resolve problems, they'll, they would rather throw money at it than actually go to the problem, re, you know, um, reverse engineer it and fix it. You know, of course they don't want to deal with white supremacy and, you know, all of these things that are happening out here which creates situations and creates environments in which people have to take drastic measures to feed them, feed their families or even themselves. And so, you know, I still have a lot of commentary on that, but, you know, I found that very troubling and very disturbing. And when I say that, I'm not talking about the spirit of the prisoners and what I mean by that, they're wanting to give and they're wanting to donate and they're wanting to help, that was admirable. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that, you know, that they had to give up their earnings, you know, and no one forced them to do it. I don't want anyone sending me a note saying they weren't forced to do it. I mean, I get that, but they have very little. And, you know, what's happening out in California, what's going on with those forest fires is just crazy, you know, but yet they have women, you know, firefighters out there, and they're paying them, I think, about a dollar a day to fight those wildfires. And in that case, they're not really given a choice. Many of them were forced to go out there to fight these fires. So... I just want you guys to do some more research to find out what's happening to these people. This is why I tell people to go and watch Ava DuVernay's documentary, 13 or 13th. You know, it's talking specifically about the 13th Amendment. And also, you know, if you want to get really technical, go and do some reading on the 14th Amendment as well. You want to get a better understanding as to why we are in the current state that we're in in regards to the prison industrial complex, the school-to-prison pipeline, and how all of this is being set up um, with the, you know, horrible educational system that we have in this country. All of this is done on purpose. And, you know, when I tell people that poverty is created and perpetuated and maintained, they look at me like I'm crazy. Poverty is created. And so it gets really interesting because, I mean, we've done a number of shows over the years. And um, go back and listen to some of those archives. I mean, next year we got some shit that we're going to be putting out there, and it's going to be dynamic. I'm actually really excited about it. 
you know, I wanted to start that up this October, but I just wasn't ready. You know, after, um, you know, people dying on me, me getting phone calls, Kim, you need to come. We don't think they're going to make it. It's just it's been a hell of a year, you know, really the past year and a half, two years. And, um, you know, it, it, it wears you down. It really wears you down, you know. And I'm just happy to say that I know that the people that I've lost, they knew that I loved them, and I told them such. And it doesn't make me miss them any less because when it just makes me miss them even more because when I would talk to them, I would try to be positive and supportive, and they would do the same for me. So some of those were very, very heavy losses. And so, you know, it's been interesting, you know, trying to get everything and pull it all back together and trying to make sense of it and realizing that in order to get this, I'm going to have to let that and that go. And it's like, what is more important, attaining this here goal or dragging this other bullshit around? And so it's been interesting. But, again, Ava DuVernay's documentary, 13 or 13th, go and watch it. It was free on Netflix not too long ago because I watched it twice. I wrote down some information. You know what? I think I'm going to watch it again this week because there are a couple of people um, in that documentary that I actually want to reach out to um, for you know, some of the stuff that I want to do next year. But, um, yeah, you know, so, you know, we're looking back at some of the things and picking it back up, and we're going to follow through on some of the things that, um, you know, that we were talking about. You know, next year, you know, I'm helping to plan two conferences. And so as time comes on, I'll let you guys know, more about it, and it it should be fun. It should be, you know, and they're very specific types of conferences. So, you know, while I miss you guys and, you know, we want to do it again, you know, these particular conferences will be dealing with specific subject matter. But the thing is is that you have when you when you look at these different subjects, you have to broaden it and expand it and look at the big picture. You know, not look immediately at your causes, but look at the big picture and see how it fits into your narrative. Because I'm pretty sure I can enlighten you as to why this right here is important and why you should care. So as time goes on and we start getting everything, you know, in place and we're ready to start pushing it to the public to let people know, show up, show out. I will let you guys know. And so saying that, you know, I was talking about the prisoners in Texas that donated over $50,000 to the Hurricane Harvey Relief. relief. Um, there was this sheriff in Louisiana 
who says that he was basically creating an argument that he did not want to let the good prisoners be released because he needed those prisoners to do money-saving menial labor. Now, I know someone is out there like, Kim, you making that shit up? No, I can't make this up if I wanted to. Um, it says, Louise, I'm going to read that. This is, you can find this in the independent.co.uk, right? It's an article by Eli Rosenberg. And I mean, this is not the only article. I've, I've read quite a few, right? And, you know, this guy here, he, he here's the headline. Louisiana sheriff argues against releasing good prisoners needed for money-saving menial labor. And so um, basically uh, he said that keeping inmates incarcerated for work as a necessary evil to keep the doors open. So you all, you got to go and read that. You know, he had black and white, you know, um, police officers behind him. That would have been the day I got fired or I would have quit. So you need to go, you need to read Go find, he wants to keep the good prisoners. And see, this is the thing. What's so funny about that is um, even in corporate America and in, you know, academia, right, you will have someone who's brilliant, you know, just absolutely brilliant, you know, extremely intelligent, and that person should be promoted or, you know, moved to this department or what have you, but they're held back. And the reason why they're held back is because they're good at their job. They're good at what they do. And you'll have, you know, management like, well, we can't move them. If they leave, who's going to do the work? And, you know, especially with people of color, I've seen us held back because they will, you know, hire a bunch of, you know, good old boys, some of their friends, some white boys, that don't know how to do jack shit, or if they do know how to do, you know, something, you know, they fuck up the rest. So in many cases, those same people get promoted up and out the way. But the real talent, you know, is is oppressed. You know, they're forced to stay in those particular positions. And so it's so funny because I've been caught up in that in, you know, a couple of situations. And it's like, well, Kim... If you refuse to work on this project, you know, how is it going to get done? Who's going to do the work? And in some cases, I just had to quit because it's abuse. And so, you know, I know many people of color that have been in that position and it's like, you know, do you complain? Do you sue? Do you do all of these things? And in most cases, it's just not freaking worth it because at the end of the day, you're going to be the one that's vilified. You're going to be the one seen as disgruntled. And what's interesting is, you know, once you bring this to the attention of the powers that be, then you become the problem, even though they know what they've done and they know the environment that they created. However, their feelings and, you know, their friends' feelings and all that, that's greater 
than you and your feelings. And so, yeah, go and take a look at this. You know, so it's the Cato, C-A-D-D-O, or Cato, however you pronounce that, Correctional Center in Shreveport, Louisiana. You know, yeah, go and take a look. I mean, this is crazy. So it says here about 60 of the approximately 350 state prisoners in the jail's custody will be released when the law takes effect in November. And, you know, basically I'm just looking at this, and he, the sheriff, was, you know, describing these men like they were property, chattel, you guys. Go and look up. I couldn't make it up if I wanted to. You know, this goes back to, you know, where you hear me talking about blackness being commodified, you know, poor people. You know, that would include, um, you know, poor whites being commodified. And, you know, you're being held in, it's just crazy, the penal system in this country. So go and look this up. You know, um, it's unreal. It's unfreaking real. You know, all of this that's taking place over there. But yeah, you know, um, they're trying to reduce, you know, the the prison population by ten percent, and they're relaxing a lot of these drug sentences. But yeah, no, he wants to keep them in jail so they can keep doing the work you know, for basically next to nothing. So, yep, 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 yep. You guys go out there and take a look. You know, it's so funny because when I tell stories like this and, you know, if I post it or whatever, you know, people just look. And it's so funny because, you know, they have all kinds of names for people like me that, you know, talk about these issues and put it out on Front Street, you know, and you're accused of basically, you know, being a race baiter or you're accused of being a racist because you keep talking about race and you keep framing the narrative, trying to make it understandable for people and all you're doing is agitating a group of people that are already marginalized, you know, and why does why do you have to talk about that? There are reasons why. Because, you know, if I didn't tell you all where to go and look, if you didn't know about this happening, you would swear I was lying about this. You know, and what's interesting is, you know, I always talk about, you know, and I got this from James Baldwin, that white people are caught up in a history that they do not know or understand. And, you know, that applies to black, brown, red, and yellow people, too, in this country. You know, when when we talk about, you know, one of the things that I talk about is when the slaves were emancipated, how... They, you know, the powers that be in this country went and brought, you know, shitloads of Chinese people over here, you know, and and how they were enslaved, you know, or indentured servitude. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, the Latinx community, you know, they were enslaved too. Same thing with the indigenous community. You know, they had to deal with slavery as well. And so, um, 
yeah, go back, do some reading, figure out what's happening, and understand how and why they're blowing smoke right up your ass. You know, they've been doing it all along, and it's only getting worse. And so, you know, a lot of the things that have taken place, you know, in the past couple of weeks, I know I briefly talked about how Donald Trump was taking health care from children. You know, that's it looks like it's going to happen. They're not going to give the money for the Children's Health Insurance Program. It's also called CHIP. Go and look that up. You know, Children's Health Insurance Program, CHIP, as well as the ACA subsidies, how, you know, he signed that executive order taking away the money that subsidizes, you know, um, affordable insurance um, premium, well, affordable insurance contracts or affordable insurance across the board for people. And these subsidies are given to the states to basically underwrite the insurance policies for, you know, working class and poor folks. And and the way that he tried to frame that narrative was that basically the Democratic pet insurance companies will no longer get federal money, but it's not the insurance companies that are going to be hurt. It's going to be the patients because, see, the insurance companies are going to make money one way or the other. You know, they've already forecasted, you know, what their profit margin is going to be. You know, so those projections are out there. And even if they have to raise the policies for those of us that have private policies, that's exactly what the hell they're going to do. So they're going to be profitable one way or the other. And so what's interesting was when they were talking to some of these people when Trump when Trump when Trump was um campaigning and these people wanted to get rid of Obamacare but leave their affordable health care alone. And when they found out it was the same thing, some of them just sat there and they looked stunned. You know, so it's going to be interesting as to, how, you know, what the fallout of this is going to be. And this is going to hurt a lot of people. It's going to hurt me too because, you know, I have a chronic illness and it's not going away. And there's no cure for this. But, you know, there is hope because for those of you that are out there, you know, I've talked about this several times and posted some articles on my wall, but I want you, there is a cure for sickle cell now. For sickle cell anemia, there is a cure. And But, but you know, you have different types, and they have not found the cure for it all across the board, but there are certain types of sickle cell, you know, disease that they found a cure for. It was founded here in Chicago. Rush University and University of Illinois Healthcare System. So if you know of someone, you know, go and look it up. Like I said, research it, look it up, post it. You have family members or friends that are afflicted with that. You know, what is it going to hurt for them to go to their doctors, take the article, hell, print it for them? You know, don't just tell them about it. Send them the link, print it up. You know, if you've got a coworker, because see what a lot of people don't understand, sickle cell um, basically, with that particular disease, um, of course, black people are afflicted the most, right? So, um, yeah, you know, let them know there's, you know, they may not be able to cure all of it yet, but it's looking really promising. 
So, you know, I want to tell people out there, you know, stay encouraged. You never know. You know, this is one of the reasons why, you know, they should continue putting money into a lot of these clinical studies, why it's important for us to participate in some of these clinical studies, you know, and unfortunately with the medical system here in America, they've harmed so many people of color. This is one of the reasons why we do not volunteer for these clinical studies. If you want to read something that's going to piss you off, it's, you know, talking about the medical community, read Medical Apartheid. Medical Apartheid. It's a great book. I got through the first two chapters and haven't been able to pick it up since. And the reason for that is because I got really upset, you know. And, you know, one day I'll tell you all my story uh, about some of the shit that I've had to go through, you know, with these doctors. And you'll understand where some of that anger comes from. But, um, you know, there's a lot of bias in the medical field, you know. And what I want people to do is to stand up and start being their own advocates or finding someone who can advocate for them. And so, you know, again, look that up, print it off. If you know someone who has sickle cell, give that to them. You never know. You just never know. So you got that. And one of the things that I find interesting, and I'm kind of moving on, but um, what I find interesting is you have people like, um, what's his name from New Jersey? The governor, Chris Christie. You have people like him and others that are decrying the opioid crisis in this country. And so they're trying to bring attention to it and say, well, this drug addiction is a disease and it's not a choice. Or, you know, and it's interesting how, you know, they want to have more compassion, you know, regarding the opioid crisis in, you know, in this country. And when we had the issue of crack, you know, throw them all in jail, kill them all, you know, just just craziness. And so what's interesting is there was an article that came out today in the Washington Post, and it's talking about the opioid crisis, but it's talking about how members of Congress have formed these alliances with some of the major drug distributors, right? And basically they went against or came up against the DEA in the Justice Department to make some of these, you know, laws more industry-friendly. And basically they're undermining, you know, the efforts to kind of pull back on these pain pills, the effort to regulate how these pain pills are distributed, how much is out there, um, and all of these things, but yet is being undermined by, you know, Congress, you know, by members of Congress, not all of them, and these drug distributors. So my whole thing is um, you care, you care. They claim they care, but yet you have these insurance, sorry, these pharmaceutical companies out here giving money to these politicians so that they can continue pushing these pills out with very little regulation or loopholes in the laws. And so go back, 
go back and it, you know read that article because it talks about how you know the DEA enforcement efforts against this drug distribution how it's being weakened, and how the drug industry and certain members of Congress who are complicit with what's happening, you know. So again, follow the money. Follow the money because they have been putting money into these, you know, election campaigns and all of that, a lot of money. And these people come with a price. You know, in the meanwhile, you have, you know, Buffy and Jody over here addicted pain pills. So they said um, one of the chief advocates of the law that basically kicked the legs from under the DEA was Representative Tom Marino, and he's from Pennsylvania. And he's supposed to be President Trump's nominee for the nation's next drug czar. So think about that. Think about that. And so I'm just, you know, looking around, looking at all of this. You know, this shit is not a coincidence. Don't let them make you believe it is. But... You know, it's just funny how, on one hand, people say that they care, you know, about these issues and the problems. But yet, on the other hand, as soon as someone gives them five bucks, then their narrative starts to change. And that's why I always say, follow the money, follow the the power. And so, again, you know, one of the things that's really getting me is what's happening in this country with these double standards and some of the things that have taken place. And I'm not sure if you all heard about this or not. Well, basically, there was this white guy by the name of Michael Christopher Estes. So Michael Christopher Estes, and he walked into the Asheville Regional Airport. That's over there in North Carolina. And he was dressed in black and carrying these chemical explosives and nails and bullets and anything that, you know, it takes to create a shrapnel bomb. He was arrested, but he told the officers that arrested him that he had a desire to fight a war on U.S. soil. So he wanted a fight. He wanted a war. Just like these white supremacists, that keep going to Charlottesville, and it's not only Charlottesville. You know, that's the thing. There has been a media blackout. See, the media, the mainstream media, they're scared of upsetting Donald Trump, and Donald Trump doesn't want any of this type of stuff on the news. He doesn't want these protesters, these activists, none of this. He doesn't want them getting any type of media shine because he doesn't want it to basically domino across the country, you know, and, and guys, independent press, find yourself some independent press and pay attention to what's going on out here because, you know, there, and you know, there have been more mass shootings since Las Vegas, you guys. It just doesn't get the press. So, you know, and people wonder why, you know, we're all depressed in our own way. It's like I can't even turn on the damn TV without hearing something that this jackass did or said. You know, and so 
you know, thank you, white America. You know, I get pissed off every day I see or hear that jackass's name. And it's a lot of people that are hurting. And there's going to be even more people suffering under this administration. Because basically what's happening here is that the election of Donald Trump was a direct result of the election of Barack Obama. It's a revenge presidency. That's what it all boils down to. You know, and you got all this damn bullshit firebrand nationalism going on. And um, and we talked about, you know, these people that fall under this quote-unquote firebrand title. And that's important for you all to know and to understand because that is chock full of white supremacy. And you don't have to be white to be a white supremacist. But, you know, what's interesting is what's happening with the damn, you know, the guy at the airport was you probably didn't hear a damn word about it. But if that had been a black person, a brown person, God forbid if it was a Muslim, it would have been all over the news and newspapers. Another thing that they're not reporting, and I haven't seen in big numbers, you know, I haven't seen it anywhere on mainstream media, and I watch the shit all day. You know, um, the protest in St. Louis, guys, it's been over 30 days. They're still protesting in St. Louis and surrounding areas. And it's not just there. There have been solidarity protests happening across this country as, a, as well as across the water. Don't think that black people in other countries ain't marching with us. Don't think that they don't see this shit. And this is one of the reasons why I get so upset with people in this country, you know, because it's like, and I get it, it's hard. You know, um, Raina and I had a conversation about this last night, and we were talking about the oppression. We were talking about the struggle. And it's like, you know, it seems as though the only thing we have is the struggle. And what I mean by that is trying to eradicate White supremacy in this country has been an ongoing battle. It will continue to be a battle because these people ain't about to give up their power, not easily. And because we've been situated and positioned in such a way that we are, again, as I stated last week, we are always placed in a position of constant surrender. And I think, you know, and, you know, Raina and I, we talked about it, and Raina went in, and she was like, she feels as though one of the reasons why many of us are surviving is because of the struggle, is because we we refuse to lay down and trampled over and stepped on by white supremacy. And so that's where some of that fight comes in. That's where some of that fury, some of that anger, that is where some of this is coming from. You know, and I've stated before on the show, look, we, people of color,
color, black people, Latino people, indigenous people, you know, Asian people, we can't afford, we cannot afford to give up. We cannot afford to give in. We have no other choice. And it gets hard. And there are days when you want to give up, days when you want to give in. you like, fuck this shit. I got a passport. I'm just going to go visit somewhere and just wear out my damn welcome. But then you think about the family and the friends and all the other people that are caught up in all of this shit. And you don't want to leave them behind. You know, and um, it's just difficult. You know, one of the stories that's out there now, and I think I mentioned it last week, but I'll go ahead and mention it again today. A young man by the name of DeAndre Harris, he was charged with a felony after being assaulted by white supremacists in Charlottesville. So this was the one from last summer, not the one from, you know, a week or two ago. But over the summer, so when it happened in August. And now he's being charged, and it's a bunch of bullshit, and I want to make sure that we send some, you know, you know he needs help. So send some donations his way. Um, they're working on it, but don't forget, you know, and this is nothing but retaliation. And so, um, yeah, man, you got all of this shit happening. But yet white supremacists are allowed to go marching unabated. They're allowed to go out here and harm folks. But they're very fine people. But yet you got people taking a knee And now the NFL is putting together some damn policy. And what's interesting about this taking a knee is that it's happening across the globe. You know, over in um, Germany, you know, you had a soccer team that took a knee. And this has been kind of interesting to watch. Um, It was a young man. I forgot his name. I apologize. I should have written it down. But um, he got fired from his job for sitting during the pledge or sitting during the national anthem. And his job confirmed that they fired him for sitting. And you're going to see a lot more of this. As a matter of fact, from my understanding, Colin Kaepernick is filing a complaint against the NFL for collusion and how the NFL owners colluded to not hire him. So it's a lot more happening. I want you guys to, you know, go out there, do some research become more politically aware, but most importantly, I want you to become more politically aware of what's happening on a local and state level, wherever you may happen to be. And I'm going to get into something in a minute, but um, there's a lot of things happening for those who haven't um, heard. There was a bombing, a truck bombing in Somali, you know, a salami truck bombing, so Somalia, right? And over 200 people were killed. I think it was like 230 or something like that. So look at what's happening over there in Somalia. It was a truck bombing. People were hurt. But, you know, since I'm talking about local and state 
political awareness, Rahm Emanuel here in Chicago plans on building a $95 million police and fire academy in West Garfield Park. Y'all, that's where we live. That's over in the black neighborhood, West Garfield Park. So he's going to put that over there. And again, it's him giving a middle finger to the black community, so the youth. And like I said, with all of this, the youth will be the one to guide this. So it's a hashtag. No Cop Academy, again, hashtag No Cop Academy. And I think I put that with um, the show notes today. Uh, they have that campaign going on. So the youth are pushing back. And, you know, again, Rahm Emanuel closed about 50 schools in Chicago in working class and poor communities of color. And it's just so much going on. And we almost got rid of Rahm. That last election, we forced a runoff between him and Chewy Garcia. And Ron has to go. And so it's going to be interesting. Those of you that are interested in Chicago politics, look up TIFS, T-I-F-S, and get a better understanding as to why many of us are a little worried about it. And also gentrification of Chicago. Chicago is going to be a tech hub. And at one point, I was putting together a business with a friend of mine, and then that's when I got really sick. I ended up having heart surgery. It was a big-ass mess. And so I had to put that down, and then all the other shit happened. It was just crazy. You know, it's a bunch of shit that I haven't shared with you guys, but um, quite a bit of it is going to be written in my book. You know, I'm going to tell the story, and I'm going to tell you what the fuck really happened. And it's just, it's been interesting. But, yeah, it's a whole bunch of shit going on in Chicago, too. And so here we go. I'm going to move on. But, like I said, you know, it was kind of open topics today. And, you know, the subtitle was Plantation Politics. And, you know, a lot of this, all of this really falls under that particular purview, right? And so I was talking about firebrand nationalism. You know, last week I specifically talked about firebrand atheism and how it's a permutation of the alt-white white supremacist community that has found a soft place to land over in an atheist secular community. So you need to pay attention. Go back and read this shit. Look it up, you know, because we talked about it. We told you all what the hell was going on. You didn't believe us. And we were all, I've also talked about the Dominionists and how they've infiltrated a number of these communities, not just the secular community, but the LGBTQ and, you know, um, um, and just across the board, right? And so what's interesting is with these Dominionists, many of them are just as nationalistic and racist as these white, that's basically what they are, Christian white supremacists. And, again, they've been infiltrating these communities in an effort to make them implode and to dismantle them from the inside out. And they've been relatively successful. And we've been sitting back watching this shit, and we told you about it. We put it out there. You didn't fucking believe us. Now you got to deal with the fallout. And I know some people are like, Kim, well, you're still around. You're still a part of this, and you're dealing with the fallout. No and yes. 
yes, I'm still around, but I'm not dealing with that shit. You said that I was too sensitive and I took it too far and I didn't know what I was talking about. You deal with the shit. I'm sitting back over here, you know, popping black popcorn and drinking some tea and laughing my ass off, watching you basically chase your tail in a circle and watching you get dizzy and fall the fuck out because this could have been dealt with several years ago. And I'm not saying that to say that I don't give a damn now, because I do, because if I didn't give a damn, I wouldn't be talking about, you know, you know, but the thing is, is that until white people realize that racism, white supremacy, the only way that's going to be deconstructed and dismantled is white people have to do it. And you're looking at us like, well, what to do? We already told you what to do. You want us to do it. The bulk of the heavy lifting is on you. We can't do it. We've been fighting it all this time. Only to have our mission, our agenda, undermined by so-called well-meaning whites. And that's why I read that quote from Martin Luther King Jr. from the letter from the Birmingham jail. A lot of these, you know, liberal, progressive, moderate whites, you know, they don't want to be uncomfortable. And if your protestations, you know, your activism, you know, if any of this creates a situation that causes them discomfort, instead of them going to the problem, they come to you and they have a problem with your tactics. And you need to pay attention to that because it's very important to know. And so, again, here we go with this firebrand nationalism that's taking place all across America. And you got white people out there like, wait a minute, we didn't know this was happening. Where did they come from? This is not our America. Yeah, it is. Because racism in this country is, you know, is, is interwoven into the very fabric, into the very fiber of this country. It's just commonplace. It's expected. And it's become so commonplace that it's deemed as normal. And so then when it comes to people's attention, well, wait a minute, I didn't know that was racist, and you act all surprised that this was happening. But we've been telling you, even with video, with pictures, of you know, audio, all of that, you still didn't believe us. And now that your nose is being pushed further and further into the pile of shit, now you're trying to say, okay, now, wait a minute here. But yet, unfortunately, you have those of them that want to bind or handcuff those of us that are out here saying, now, this is some bullshit. And then say, well, we don't like the way you said it. We didn't like your tone. We didn't like the tenor of your actions and, you, you know, the, what you said there. So you're supposed to make it nice and pretty. You're supposed to nuance it. And what's so funny is when it's been nuanced, you act blank, and then when you're just 
you know, get your face shoved in a pile of shit, then you get it, but you're mad because you got shit on your face. But you didn't seem to understand it the other way. And so, again, you got this firebrand nationalism. And this is one of the reasons why I'm, you know, cautioning folks. Because if you go back and look at the history of the 50s and the 60s, and you'll see a lot of this same firebrand nationalism, that is how we got in God We Trust put on money, paper money, and the coins, even though I think the coins was a little bit before, but it's, it's all in that era, but it was done under the guise patriotism of nationalism. And you need to pay attention as to what happened. And so what happened, especially during the 60s, was you had all of these different movements happening across the country. And basically what they were able to do was to take the activism of those times, and they tried to tie it to McCarthyism, to communism and socialism. You see any patterns here? And, and, and basically weaken, you know, the protest and the activism that was taking place there. Now, this is a very simplistic, um, you know, very simplistic view that I'm giving you because it's a hell of a lot more complicated than this. You know, unfortunately, you got people out here who think that black people just woke up one morning and decided to go and protest, you know, uh, the March on Washington or the March against the Pettus Bridge in, in, in Alabama. No. There are dozens, hundreds of protests before those pivotal moments. And this is what gets lost in the shuffle when we talk about history, and which is one of the reasons why, you know, I find it dangerous when we simplify these matters. But it's hard to do an exhaustive type of explanation to this, and this is why we have books. And one of the things that I do is I read those books. I'll take some things. I'll put it out here and share with you. But, you know, things are never quite that simple. And when you have people out here who fail to do the research or fail to ask questions, that is where we get in trouble, right? But, you know, again, you have a lot of activity that's taking place in this country. And I, you know, I have to stress to you again, human beings do not change. The only thing that changes power structures. And once you understand that, I think it will be easier for you to get a better grasp as to what's happening. So, you know, it's really interesting what's taking place with this socialism and this, you know, communism trope that's being trotted out, you know, in front of the American public is, you know, Americans have the attention span of a net, which is one of the reasons why we say go back and read. Go back and research what was happening. So, again, you know, what's happening with the Trump administration 
is they're trying to go against and basically deconstruct everything, you know, that happened under Obama. Anything that was pro-Obama, they're going to go against it, you know, and it's just, it's been amazing to watch this. And it's not hard to understand. Unfortunately, you have a lot of people that are willfully ignoring these things. Or I hear saying, no, it's not that bad. And, and it's funny when you have white people who want to define racism to the rest of us. Well, I don't find that racist. Well, okay, when were you black? When were you Latinx? When were you Asian? When were you indigenous? And then you have, you know, some of these rich white folks out here that use the same talking points on poor whites. You know, and it's really interesting because, again, I've talked about how, unfortunately, you have people out here that have been deluded to the point that they sympathize and align themselves with these rich folks because somebody told them that they're going to be rich in the future. And so they make certain decisions based upon that. So, you know, they're making bad decisions based on bad information or misinformation that came their way. And that's one of the reasons why you see me pointing the finger at these megachurches so hard and these megachurch pastors, as well as the megachurch members. I've been kind of lax on the megachurch members, and there's a reason why. And one of the reasons why is because state-sanctioned violence has created just utterly dire situations. And for some people... Religion, spirituality, philosophy, what have you, these are things that help them to see another day. These are the things that help to keep them sane. These are the things that continue to give them hope. These are the things that continue to motivate them that things will change. You know, these are things that give them some type of support when they just want to fall the fuck out and die. You know, it's much, much more to it. And it's unfortunate because they are actually, and I know some people are going to roll their eyes, and maybe this is not the best language to use, but... You know, I see some of them as fucking victims. Not all of them, but some of them. And so when you, because, I mean, it used to not be that way for me. But as you grow, and like I said, if you're not growing, evolving, or being more enlightened intellectually, you're not growing. And you're spinning your wheels, and again, you're running in a circle chasing your own tail. But as you learn and you know better, you have a deeper appreciation and a better understanding of what's going on around you. 
And so, um, yeah, you know, this is why my approach has changed over the years because we can't necessarily blame the people. And that becomes very difficult because with a lot of these megachurch members, they have fallen for the negative trope that's come from the moral majority, whereas they tell you to vote your values. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of these black pastors and some of these white pastors over, over black congregations, black and brown congregations, they've fallen into that trap, which is when you hear them talking about vote your morality, you know, or, you know, these moral values, A, B, C, D, and E, you know, this is the reason why you should X, Y, Z. That's white supremacy. And unfortunately, quite a few of us have fallen for the okie doke. And it's a very delicate, delicate subject. And it has to be presented in such a way that you don't bash and blame the people who are victimized by this. You have to understand the situation that they're in and what created the situation. And then we have to figure out ways to help them and how to create an even better solution or, you know, or or improve the situations because some of these things we're going to have to make the changes brick by brick. In other situations, you just got to knock the whole damn building down because there's no way that you can go in and and, and modernize or, you know, um, do some renovations to that. When the foundation is fucked up and it's buckled, you're not going to rebuild on that. It's easier just to tear the damn thing down and to start over. And so, you know, each situation is different, yet there is common thread. There's, is, you know, I'm trying to find a way to express it, and I don't necessarily have the language for it, you know, but I know what I want to say, but I have to be very careful in how I say it. And so, you know, I'm going to have to tackle that. In another show, it's a whole bunch of shit that I wanted to talk about over the years. And some things I got to, a whole bunch I haven't. I have a bunch of ideas. And, um, you know, a couple of proof of concepts that we're going to be rolling out next year. And I'm excited about it. And so, um, you know, one of the things that kind of disturbed me now is you have people out here. And, yeah, you know, hell, we want to impeach Trump. You know, you got people out here talking about the 25th Amendment and how he can get tossed out by the 25th Amendment. And some explanations behind that is his cabinet can vote and put him out, but, you know, Pence would have to be amenable to that type of solution. But, see, this is the thing. It's not quite that simple. And so I read something, in a, you know, in, on the, you know, talking heads. They were talking about how Bannon had a conversation with Trump 
saying that he didn't believe that Trump had to worry about impeachment, but he had to possibly worry about the 25th Amendment. And from what he said, Trump had no idea what the 25th was. He was like, well, what is that? And so, you know, that right there should cause you to worry for a whole number of reasons. But it was an article written in Business Insider, and it's talking specifically about the 25th Amendment and, you know, how people are wanting to use the 25th Amendment to basically kick Trump out of office. Well, there's a major flaw with that, and that major flaw is if the president thinks that his cabinet is about to eject his ass, he could just fire the cabinet, and there's no one to stop him. So now what? Where do we go from there? I mean, he already hasn't filled the majority of the positions of his administration. And at this point, I wonder who Congress will allow, you know, who they will vote and allow to become a part of this administration. You know, and one of the things that I've heard, you know, scuttlebutt again from some of these talking heads, is they talk about basically the people that are still working in the White House, they talk about how much crazy that they have to shoot down, you know, because I can only imagine the types of things that he really wants to do and what would take place if all these people actually left. And so that's why I found it funny when Bob Corker described the White House as a daycare you know, it's quite apropos for a number of reasons, but yet it still really is scary. <sighs> so you got all that going on. You know, you got white domestic terrorists running around doing whatever the fuck they want. Why? Because they're white, they're male, they have money, and they can do whatever the fuck they want, and they know they can and pretty much, you know, they get to go unabated and with impunity. So all of this happening, and you got people mad because folks are taking a knee or sitting down, Be you know, when the national anthem is being played. You got folks getting fired from their gigs because they sat it down during a national anthem. You know, it's just, it's, it's been interesting. Rahm Emanuel trying to, you got $95 million to to build a fire and police academy. But there's no money for outreach to economically and educationally disadvantaged communities and neighborhoods. There is no money to get better books. There is no money to hire better teachers. There is no money to do HIV and AIDS outreach. There is no money 
for mental health care programs. There's no money for drug rehabilitation services. There's no money for transitional housing. There's no money for educational and job training for formerly incarcerated people. There's no money for women coming out of domestic, violent, intimate partner, violent situations. There's no money to improve life for the elderly. There's no money for Meals on Wheels to feed these elderly who are barely getting by on the meager Social Security funds that they receive every month. There is no money for jobs for youth. If there were jobs and economical advantages or opportunities, crime would go down. Let's talk about what creates this. Let's talk about state-sanctioned violence. There is no money to talk about these things. There is no money to build community gardens. There is no money to reinvest in these economically and educationally disadvantaged neighborhoods so that local people, other people of color, can start their own businesses. There is no money to train people in the community to be first responders when there is an incident so that they can save lives. There is no money for trauma centers in these troubled neighborhoods. Now, mind you, I'm not just talking about Chicago when I say this. There is no money to open up facilities for people who are people who deal with mental health challenges instead of opening centers and schools and opportunities and transitional housing, you toss them in jail. So now you've turned a jail into a mental health care facility, but there is no money to deal with that. There is no money to educate people as to have basic life skills, right? There is no money for that. There is no money to give scholarships and grants to very bright children, and even not so much, you know, because, see, again, the school system is so fucked up. Some of the children that they say are troubled, some of the children that they feel are developmentally, you know, delayed, in some cases that's not true. You just don't know how to fucking teach them. There's no money for none of that. Where are our priorities? There is no money to retrain or train these police officers to deal with mental health care issues. You know, you get a call, you show up, guns out, and you shoot them 
before you even get a chance to ask more than two or three questions. No questions. Stop. What if the person doesn't speak English? No matter. They get shot too. But no money to address any of these issues, right? And it's only going to get worse under this administration because with Donald Trump, he's going to hurt anybody and, and, and dismantle anything that it seemed as, you know, that seemed that Obama wanted to help. But yet 13% of black men voted for Donald Trump. And what's so interesting is that a lot of these same men are the same ones that are out here trying to, number one, get rid of feminism and womanism or force black women to make a choice. You know, that's happened before. Go back and read your history about the civil rights movement and the black power movement and how black women were told that they had to make a choice. But they want us out here fighting for black men and their causes when they don't support us. You know, and so what's so interesting when I talk about some of these black nationalists, the NOTEPs in particular, is basically it gets interesting. Because, you know, you have some of them that absolutely hate women. And when you bring that to their attention, of course, there's pushback. Oh, I love women, la, 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 la. No, you love having sex with women. But you don't like women and you don't love them. You want to punish them for having sex. So you want to take abortion away. And what's so interesting is with some of these guys, you run out and have 20, 30 children, and you ain't supporting none of them. Now, that's only a few of you, but it's still a few too many. But yet you want to tell a woman what she should do with her body. You want to tell a woman who she should vote for if you don't just take the right to vote away from her. You want to talk about capitalism, bringing all the black money together and collectively building a community, and like we've said, we've done this before. Black Wall Street, all of that, we've done it before. One of my questions is to people, how do we keep it? You know, they will come in and take it. They've done it before, and they'll do it again. Hell, they're doing it now. A lot of black and brown wealth was stolen in 2007, 2008, well, we'll really say between 2005 through about 2009, when the mortgage bubble bust, a lot of black and brown wealth just gone. And it was no coincidence. So, again, You know, I agree with Dr. Barber about us being in a new phase of reconstruction. Um, There are ways in which people can profit, make money, do some research. I'm researching some things myself 
and um, you know, man, it's just crazy. But like I said, we can't afford to give up. We cannot afford to give in. We can't afford to just say, fuck it. Can't do that. You know, so, again, you know, there are no easy answers to any of this shit. None at all. But, you know, you know, as Raina said to me last night, even though we are in the middle of the struggle, you know, there's still black love. There's still black joy. There's still black future, futurism. You have all of that going on. And, you know, you know, I'm amazed because we're able to find a good time, try to find a way to give a, you know, kind word and a smile, even in the face of all this bullshit that we're living in. And even when we're being told by white supremacists that it's our own fault, when we're told by these white supremacists that we are genetically inferior, when we're told by these white supremacists that we are prone to criminality, when we're told by these white supremacists you will never win, when you're told by these white supremacists Oh, just give in to me. I'm going to get it anyway. Or I'm just going to take it. And this is what we live through. This is what we face every day. And like I said, you know, I'm shocked more of us haven't gone tick, tick, fucking boom. Because when you're walking around on eggshells every day, you know, in fear of state-sanctioned violence or in fear that some crazy-ass white domestic terrorist is just going to come in and shoot up the damn place and get away with it? Come on. Or you have some other type of white domestic terrorist that takes away everybody's money and doesn't serve a damn day in job, and if they do go to jail, it's that Camp Cupcake where they can play golf and shit. So, and, you know, while I love, you know, technology, innovation, and all of this shit, you know, there are some real caveats and dark sides to this. And so you must be aware of that as well. And so, you know, here we are. You know, again, dealing with this firebrand nationalism, you know, in so many fucking layers to that particular onion. You know, you try to peel it away, but in order to understand what's happening now, you have to understand, you know, what has happened in the past. So, yeah, go back, do some reading, you know, about what took place with the Red Scare and McCarthyism, you know, in the 50s and the 60s, and, you know, how some changes were made, um, you know, in this country. As a matter of fact, um, the Pledge of Allegiance did not originally have under God in it. Do some research on that, you know, and again, you know, there are a lot of white supremacy a white supremacist, Christians. You know, how else would a fight break out 
at the Southern Baptist Convention. You know, what's so interesting is, you know, you had people that did not want to talk about or condemn white supremacy, you know, they're saying that it should be a given and they shouldn't have to, you know, change that or address it specifically. And these are the same people who are out here saying, well, the 13th Amendment is just fine the way it is, and we shouldn't, you know, have to go back and change that. We can just make other changes. Yeah, so you can create another law, another loophole, and say, well, it's in the Constitution. And for those of you that are, you know, are not aware, you know, you may want to go and take a look at what, the Koch brothers are trying to achieve. Um, let me see here. You got the Koch brothers, citizens. No, not citizens united. Uh, I can't think right now. I'm so sorry. It was a point that I wanted to make. But, um, you know, go and take a look and look up information about how the GOP the Republicans want to make some constitutional changes. I'm trying to remember. I hate when I do this, guys. I hate it. I hate when I do this because I know exactly what I want to talk about, but I can't remember the specific word that I want you to go and look up. Damn it. So anyway, that's a whole bunch of shit for you all to go and look up and read. Maybe I shouldn't put all this on your plate right now, but it's important. In order for you to understand what's happening now, you need to understand what was happening then and, you know, position yourself. That, because change can be made, and it's more of us than there are of them. You know, what's unfortunate is everybody wants to be the leader, you know, and you know, one of the things about the Black Lives Matter movement is it's a leaderful type of movement. So everybody is a leader, you know, within the movement. And so it's really interesting how, you know, um, how that was put together and, you know, how it's working. But, um, you know, before I sign off, you know, I have to address you know, what what happened to Black Lives Matter and Russia and what happened during the 2016 election. Now, I'm pretty sure you all have heard or read about how the Russians were basically stoking the fire of racial division, racial animosity, you know, all of that in America during the election. And so what they did was, they were planning all of these stories, you know, of Black Lives Matter attached to them to get some of the angry, you know, white folks, the angry racist white folks, to get them even angrier. And, you know, they were just putting all of this information out there to pit one group against the other. And so they were basically doing some of this, you know, um, under the guise of, telling folks that they were, you know, Black Lives Matter. I mean, the way they went about doing it, it was sophisticated in its own way. And a lot of people were fooled by it, and a lot of people were hurt. And I remember when some of that was coming out, I'm like, where the 
fuck is this coming from? You know, trying to get a better understanding and, you know, started pulling back on posting shit. And I remember there was a whole lot of chatter, especially on black Twitter, and we were trying to figure out what was going on because we figured out that there were some white people uh, putting together these black profiles and putting information out there. Once we started figuring that out, you know, we started being more cautious about the shit. You know, and um, it's just unfortunate because there was a lot of damage done. Yeah, you guys, it was a lot of damage done. And so, you know, if they don't get this under control, it's going to be a hot damn mess, you know, uh, for 2020. But like I said to you guys before, You know, if you continue laughing, continue acting as though this isn't happening and all of this shit, 2020, you know, Donald Trump is going to be reelected. So if that's not what you want, I would suggest that you become more politically enlightened, more, you know, more enlightened about history and politics and, you know, reach out to the community it's work that has to get done. I'm right there with you guys. It's like, you know, shit. You know, it's 20 degrees below zero. You know, you really want me to come out of my house? Yeah, Kim. Man. <laughs> so I said all of that to say this. You know, I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. You know, but be kind to yourself. Treat yourself well. Sometimes we're our own biggest critics. And sometimes, you know, we sabotage ourselves. However, what I would tell you is listen to yourself as well. If something doesn't feel right, if it doesn't sound right, question it. And you should question everything and everybody. If you have someone and they're getting angry because you're asking questions, then that's not your friend. Or that person isn't looking out for you or looking out for your benefit or your well-being. Run. Run fast and run far. You know, um, but question it. You know, a lot of these things that are happening, like I said, you know, you get these white domestic terrorists running around doing a whole bunch of shit they have no business doing. And it's interesting because they want to fight a war on U.S. soil. And what's interesting about this type of white male here is basically, you know, they point the finger and try to say that blacks are prone to criminality and, you know, violent tendencies and, you know, all of these things. But they're trying to start a war on U.S. soil. I'm just trying to figure out what the hell he was going to do in that airport, you know, and what the hell he was going to set off. I'm glad he didn't get a chance to do it. But, you know, what else is being planned out there? And these are the things that you all should be looking at, not necessarily worried about, but me being me, I'm kind of worried about these things. You know, if you're not worried about it, at least be a little concerned. 
you know, and, you know, definitely they need help down in St. Louis, you know, there's been, you know, hundreds of people arrested. You know, I think they, they, I think they arrested over 300 people in the first 18 days. That's a lot of people going to the clink, y'all. So go and take a look to see what's happening over there. And Rahm Emanuel and his bullshit here in Chicago, again, that hashtag is No Cop Academy. And this is a campaign that the youth in Chicago are spearheading and, you know, go out and read about it, you know, can send over some coffee, send over, because, I mean, it's about to get cold, y'all. It's about to be cold. And, you know, like I said, when you're walking around and you feel like it's a target on your back, that's not a good feeling. So, yeah, go do some research, you know, Dr. William Barber and, you know, third reconstruction taking place, and there is a lot of validity to that. So that's what I'm telling you guys to go and read that Goldman Sachs, um, the article talking about the Goldman Sachs economists and what they're saying about what's happening now with, um, you know, the reconstruction that's taking place or economic expansions as they call it is taking place in America right now. So next week, I don't know, I ain't quite decided yet what I want to talk about, but more than likely I'm going to be talking about just more fuckery that's taking place in this country. You know, maybe I should go and find, you know, a lot of these articles about other mass shootings that have taken place in this country since Vegas and talk about white people behaving badly and why isn't the, you know, media covering this and, you know, a number of other things that are going on. Who knows? So it will be a show next Sunday. What are we going to talk about? Who the fuck knows? You know, I would like to do a show just talking about good shit, all right? like what Tulane University is doing for the students, you know, college university students from Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. And, you know, they're bringing a lot of the Puerto Ricans and, you know, Virgin Islanders over to America. So, you know, let you guys know that, especially the ones that are sick. And what's, you know, heartbreaking about what's happening is, especially in Puerto Rico, that they're getting water from the Superfund sites you know, and this is toxic, chemically, it's just, just, it's poison. If this is all that they have. And in some cases, they're giving them like five or six bottles of, you know, bottled water, a fruit snack, and, and some crackers or what the hell ever, and that's supposed to feed a family. And the Virgin Islands, you know, it seems like they just forgot all about them and, you know, your President Trump talking about he spoke to the president of the Virgin Islands and still waging war upon Ms. Cruz, you know, the, the mayor of San Juan in Puerto Rico. And it's just been, it's, this has been horrific to watch. And so, yeah, last night, you know, they had a benefit concert. And they were jamming. I was like, oh, yeah, so if you want to get a chance, go look that up. They did a good job. You can still donate money. And um, so 
So that's that, y'all. I'm all talked out for right now. So this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. Again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. All right, y'all. Have a good one. Take care. Bye-bye.